1: And we're still talking about revolution.
3: Hello and welcome to the Do and Time show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and Peter. Hello. And we're going to be presently speaking with Pamela Kerr, who was um, in the position formerly... um, previously in fact, of the um, Asylum Seeker Resource Centre and now she's doing a lot of activist work in regards to asylum seekers and refugees. And um, as listeners are aware, there was a terrible tragedy recently of Hamed and um, Peter will provide us with a small intro presently about that, um, about Hamed who um, was fan-hanging from a tree Um, Peter will speak about this in a minute and um, so we'll be interviewing Pamela about that and she's going to be speaking to us about violations of human rights on Manus Island. Nauru. On Nauru, sorry, on Nauru Um, and we're going to be speaking about other issues too and then after that um, we're going to be listening to some radio commentary that Peter has prepared in regards to... Prison Radio, and he's going to be doing some Mamia Bujamal commentaries amongst other topics. So stay tuned. And Peter, I'll hand over to you, and you can perhaps give the intro now.
4: Oh yeah, uh, the from, from um, in Al Jazeera News, human rights violation um, in Nuru officials say that's one. Um, yeah, uh, intro. Mm-hmm. And then, um, on the um, in the Guardian, there's a refugee, Hamid, found dead on Manus Island. Found he was found hanging by a tree, and refugees on Manus Island are questioning the initial reports that he 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 committed he had committed suicide before after injuries were reportedly found on his body. And he had me- mental health, health problems, so that's the intro.
3: Okay, so so basically you're going to be talking to Pamela about that yeah. and, and also for her to give some background about Nauru as well as Manus Island additionally, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. okay. Okay. This is the Doin' Time Show and we um, are bringing listeners an interview with Pamela Kerr, who is a refugee advocate. Hello, Pamela. Welcome to the program.
2: Hello to you.
3: Lovely to have you. Now, we were just wondering if you could just let listeners know what's been happening in regards to this terrible tragedy that has occurred with um, Hamed, who is, who is, I believe, a refugee. Um, from Manus Island who was found hanging from a tree. Is that correct?
2: Yes. Uh, well, some Hamid uh, was a young man from Iran yes. who um, arrived in on Christmas Island at the time when everybody was being carted off to Manus and Nauru, and that's how he wound up on Manus Island. Um, he was brought down here for medical treatment, for surgical treatment in 2014, and that's where I got to know him. Um, Unfortunately, he was uh, pulled out of the detention center with seven others at two o'clock in the morning and sent back to Manus um, sometime after that in 2015. Now, when I knew him here, he had an orthopedic problem which um, after many months was finally operated on. And um, he was uh, disturbed by the violence on Manus Island, which he'd witnessed when um, the local people broke into the camp and killed Reza Barati. But he was in no way in the condition which we've heard described recently. what happened was um, Hamid was taken back to um, Manus and put back in the camp, and there his um, mental state deteriorated. Um, I had a friend this week, a friend of Hamas, ring me and say how Hamid, Hamid supported him when they first arrived on Manus. that he played the guitar and he used to make up songs and he said he was a great support to all of us. But what happened of course was slowly but surely after four years Hamid's um, mental state deteriorated.
3: Yeah, Pamela, I wanted to offer my sincere um, condolences on behalf of listeners about Hamed on behalf of the Do and Time Show. And I'd also like to um to give you a sincere apology um, of the way, the question that I asked you was quite sketchy and vague. In that, there really hasn't been a lot of information in the mainstream media about this this tragedy. Does that make sense? And so, it's extremely yes. difficult um, yes. for well, us you to, know, you know, to see the, exactly what's happening. Um, this
2: is the fifth death on Manus Island. Mm.
3: Um,
2: deaths from murder from medical neglect yes and from suicide and it's a terrible thing yes to think that we've put people in this place where they are clearly not safe and that that what they face now is on the 31st of october the camp is going to be pulled down closed finished the men are going to be dumped to destitution in PNG. I read uh, from a report from the local psychiatrist in the Manus Hospital who said this week that there was no plan in place for the care of these men. They, There is no evidence that they're going to get any sort of income support, that they'll have anywhere to live and as we know there's a high rate of unemployment in Papua New Guinea and people um, survive by having tribal family affiliations. These people have none of that and they are not welcome and that's why they're so at risk. Um, Hamid was facing all this and clearly it all got too much for him. Um, to be quite honest, we don't know the exact circumstances mm. of his death and that is why we're asking proper coronial inquiry in Australia to find out exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. We don't know if he was murdered Mm. or if he indeed committed suicide. We don't know. Um, What we do know is that he was terribly unwell and that he was receiving no treatment and that he was put into the transit accommodation in Lorengau because they couldn't um, uh, deal with him in the camp and that the local people were picking on him and attacking him and that he had been assaulted. He'd been put in the local prison for weeks on end when he was mentally unwell. It's this primitive treatment that this man was given. Extremely. It's, it's no wonder that he died.
4: Huh. And um, apparently the a lot of the asylum seekers believed that um, allegedly he had injuries before... Um, on his body before he committed suicide? There's a
2: lot of information which needs to be thoroughly investigated and tested. Mm. Um, We can't just assume. Mm. Of course, it's convenient to assume that this man took his own life, Mm. but that that is not... um, We can't just assume that.
3: We can't. And, and, And in fact, you know, Pamela, that's why I asked you that leading question at the beginning of the interview to show listeners that, in fact, you know, it has been extremely difficult to get information because there's such a shroud and element of secrecy in regards to the media now, in regards to what the government's giving out.
2: Yes, that's right. And, of course, the government doesn't want to draw attention to um, the appalling conditions in which these people are living and the shameful way that they're treating them.
3: It, it it is indeed shameful and and the other question i i wanted to ask you as well is that would you say that this is this is could be partly not just the death but a lot of issues that have happened in terms of power being cut off and and resources being withdrawn um from the camps is that to do with the fact do you think in your view, that the Australian government wants the asylum seekers to to leave? Because they've got nowhere to go now because America won't take them, will they?
2: Um, Well, that is still up in the air, although many of us um, feel that it's unlikely to happen. If you look, there's around 750 men still in the camp, um, then down the road there's this so-called transit accommodation where people who are found to be refugees get moved to. There's space there for um, I believe 198 uh, men but um, it's already there are people in there. There is no uh, space to accommodate the 750 men from the camp. So what is going to happen to them? Hmm. The government's trying to force them down the road, but there's nowhere for them to be. There's not enough rooms. And the men themselves in the transit accommodation are told to be in there by dark. Don't go out after dark because that's when you will risk um, being assaulted and murdered. And and week after week, we hear of attacks on these men by, with bush knives, with machetes. We see the photographs of the injuries. The people are quietly moved, if they can't treat them in the Manus Hospital, to to Port Moresby. Um, There is so much evidence that these people are not safe in that place, and the Australian government is trying to ignore it.
4: And there's uh, the human rights, um, UN officials said there's human rights violations in um, New. Roo anyhow, isn't there?
3: In Nauru as well?
2: Yes, the situation in Nauru is um, almost as parlous. Um, we know that there have been multiple attacks on local people in Nauru, um, of the refugees living in the community in Nauru and that that camp also. Um, what, what is the future of these people? They can't stay on Nauru. The Nauru government don't want um, they have to have somewhere to go. And, you know, this constant refrain, oh, we'll find a third country. <laughs> it's been four <laughs> years that they've been looking for a third country and there is no third country. Um, mm. The Cambodian solution, $70 million later, what, four or five people went there and they've all left. Um, they tried uh, to force Timor, the Philippines, uh A whole lot of other countries, they've tried to force them to take people, and they're not into it. Um, It's just, really, Australia has to face the fact that these are our refugees, they are our responsibility, and they're human beings who deserve safety. We should be bringing them here and settling them here. We can do it. You know, we bring in 200,000 migrants every year. What is 2,000 people? It's nothing.
4: No,
2: it's not. it's not. They've already got... Many of them have got connections here, family members. Yeah. They're people who can contribute.
3: Yeah, look, it's... And the stop, stop the boat policy has definitely happened with the Liberal government, hasn't it?
2: Well, you know, the claim is made that if they allow these people to come here, the boats will start... We have the Australian Navy stationed up there in the Indian Ocean blocking the boats. Um, they are, The boats are not stopping because we're being cruel to people in offshore camps. The boats are stopping by physical force. There is no excuse for the cruelty that we are perpetrating on these people.
3: There is no excuse. And, you know, the question that I often ask refugee ac- advocates... And I know I'm probably asking it again and again, and I sound like a broken-down record, but what's going to happen, Pamela? What's going to happen with all these asylum seekers in the end? It's like they're in limbo here.
2: They are in limbo, and I don't believe that the Australian government really know what is going to happen, and that is why there's this state that people are suspended in.
3: And people being ill and and, and now this... This latest tragedy of this man dying, and you know all these all this speculation in the media. Do you know there's barely anything in the media about this this this, this um, poor man with Ahmed? Nothing at all. I haven't seen anything.
2: No, but I can tell you that he's got legal a um, legal representative for the family, and they are um, working hard to see if they can get a corona inquiry and get a proper investigation of his death
3: yeah. and
2: represent the family's interests. Absolutely. Um, they've, this family lost their son far away from them. Um, they deserve to at least know what happened.
3: Well, let's hope that a coronial inquiry does occur um, and I'm hoping that there have been respectful arrangements put in place um, for for the, this man's death in, in terms of uh, you know, memorial and all of that type of stuff?
2: Yes, well, at this stage, um, I don't think the body has yet been sent to Iran. Right. Um, but there are people, uh, lawyers representing the family to ensure that these things happen. And they and they need representation because we can't rely on the decency of the Australian government.
4: No. And the Australian government is... Um you know, pretty full-on... You know, everyone goes on about the American government and Australia's got a lot, lot of human rights violation here as well.
2: Yes, that's right. If you look at... You know, it starts with the first people, yeah, the right. Aboriginal Australians. And they're still um, doing... The it. high rates of incarceration, the imprisonment, the cruelty to young Aboriginal children. Um, and then we come to the latest arrivals. Um, we have deep human rights problems in this country which have not been resolved and um, we really do need a human rights law um, that can be enforced because at the moment we don't have that. We yeah. have to rely on so-called goodwill. will
3: Well, look, it's no use having the Aboriginal people included in the Constitution if we can't have a treaty and, and fix up some of this unfinished business that's happening.
2: Mm. Yes, and congratulations to the Yarra Council starting at a grassroots level um, on this decision uh, on the 26th of January. I think that they deserve um, support for that because they're going to be slated for it. Why should... Um, we call it Australia Day when it's the day that does not represent all Australians.
3: Pamela, that's uh, that's extremely important, um, and and it's indeed it's it's a start, isn't it? It's definitely a start. Yes,
2: yeah, yes. The the human rights start at the grassroots, the ones that endure. Um, no politician ever woke up one morning and felt a little kindly and thought, "I must introduce human rights today." Mm. They were only da- introduced by people at the grassroots level fighting hard for them.
3: Thank you so much for coming onto the program, Pamela. Do you have any final comments before we finish?
2: Just to remind people that on the eighth of uh, November, uh, sorry, eighth of October. There's going to be, um, across the nation, uh, uh, huge rallies for the refugees offshore. We are really um, desperately concerned about what's going to happen to people after the 31st of October in Manus, and also what's going to happen to the families on Nauru. So if people can get out and tell their friends, show show their bodies in numbers, Um, to the politicians that we do not agree. What is being done in our name is a shameful thing and we're going to stand up for it, against it.
3: Thanks very much, Pamela. So mark your diaries, listeners, 8th of October. Thanks a lot, Pamela. Okay. Thank Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
4: And that was Pamela Kerr. She's a refugee advocate. And that was um, Black Supremacy by divide and dissolve a a Melbourne band.
0: Trump's America and ours. The shockwaves from Charlottesville, Virginia are resonating around the world. The roiling river of hatred that rolled through the city featured a panorama of paranoia, stars and bars, swastikas, Nazi regalia, Klan crosses and Trump hats. They are America's hidden face, now open for all to see, they are America. They are the razor's edge of the millions who heard Donald J. Trump's inane claim that Obama was born in Africa. This was Trumpese for he's not one of us. He's not a real American like us. Get it? Wink, wink. This, the aging population of a dying generation, is the unseen undertow that floated Trump to the Oval Office. And to ask Trump to disavow or condemn them or their beliefs is like asking grapes to condemn jelly. It can't honestly be done. For they are a part of him, and he is a part of them. Thus we see Trumpism unmasked, make America great again indeed. Charlottesville is the illegitimate son of Charleston, South Carolina. Two cities, one example. White rage on full boil, open, visible, present. The grievances of people who have been betrayed by capitalism, by corporate flight, by NAFTA, and by the turning, clicking clock of change has become the fuel for attacks on the eternal other. Blacks, Jews, Latinos, students. Anyone deemed not truly white. Make America great again. Make America hate again. Make America white again. That's Trumpism. How can Trump denounce himself from imprisoned nations? This is Mumia Abu Jamal. These commentaries are recorded by Noel Hanrahan. Prison Radio. David Jones, killed by cop. His name? David Jones. In his 31st year of life, about to embark on the adventure of a lifetime, marriage, and founding a family in Philadelphia. He loved riding dirt bikes, so he took his bike for a last spin and listed it online for sale. As a father and husband just recently turned 31. He was moving on, or so he thought. On June 9th, his last day on his dirt bike, he was stopped by a Philadelphia cop, Ryan Ponnell, who said Jones was riding erratically. A stop, or rather a stop and frisk, and then disaster. Ponnell allegedly fired a taser at Jones, and though it stunned him, it didn't stop him. He cast a pistol aside, left his bike, and ran for his life. Pawnell pulled his pistol and fired, and Jones fell down, a smoking hole in his back, dead. This was June 9, 2017, and afterwards, official silence from public officials, but not the people. Asa Khalif of Pennsylvania's Black Lives Matter and blogger-journalist Christopher Flood the Drummer Norris have broken the silence by megaphone and internet posts demanding that the mayor, DA, and police chief address the killing of David Jones. Every week since, and whenever public officials appear, BLM is there demanding justice for DJ. Working online and on the street, they are on the move for David Jones and committed to having the killer cop indicted and prosecuted. Their cry? Justice for DJ is only getting louder. From Imprison Nation, this is Mumia Abu-Jamal. These commentaries are recorded by Noel Hanrahan of Prison Radio.
4: Bastard.
2: 3CR, always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the
3: moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for.
1: So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out, to sham contracting arrangements.
2: On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au.
0: A new death row. When I left death row, little did I know that I was entering another quieter, non-obvious death row. Here I'm not speaking of Pennsylvania's draconian life sentences, what I've called slow death row. No, I mean death by medical neglect and a malicious form of malpractice by the DOC's failure to treat the deadly liver infection hepatitis C. At our court hearings in December 2015, we learned of the DOC's secret protocol, which explicitly refused to even consider treating any prisoner unless and until a person had esophageal varices, or in English, bleeding from one's throat. A federal judge sitting in Scranton, Pennsylvania, Robert Mariani, looked at that protocol and twice, twice declared it unconstitutional. For lawyers, jailhouse lawyers, and especially you, members of the NLG, or National Lawyers Guild, this is your open door to bring law to the people, to save lives, not to mention help, and to make state DOC medical officials serve medical needs and not profit motives. I end on this note. Today, in Pennsylvania prisons, indeed, in this very prison, Prisoners are still being turned away because DOC Medical continues to apply its malicious and unconstitutional profit-driven protocol. Our work is not yet done. From Imprison Nation, this is Mumia Abu-Jamal. These commentaries are recorded by Noel Hanrahan of Prison Radio. Early morning, a time of rest, quiet, and repose. On August 8th, 1978, only the early birds in search of worms were steering. Also, cops assembled, heavily armed. They attacked the move house in West Philadelphia's Powellton Village. Then, hundreds and perhaps thousands of shots poured into the house. How could we know the number? For... Before night fell, the building would be shattered, raised into the dark, wet earth. Water cannons pumped hundreds of gallons into the house, a deliberate attempt to flush-move people from their own communal home. When they emerged to escape drowning and bullets shot into the dark basement, men, women, and children arose from the murky waters to find themselves facing dozens of cops, fiendishly pointing rifles and pistols at them. Instinctively, they raised their arms to show that they weren't armed, to avoid being shot by the maddened coterie of cops. Delbert Africa pulled himself out of a basement window, his arms raised above, his back and chest bare, only to be rifle butted, slammed with a police helmet, and when he fell, pummeled, kicked repeatedly in his face and head. When he appeared in court for arraignment some hours later, His left eye looked more like a golf ball than an eyeball. Saliva ran down his chin, reflecting his broken jaw. Almost all of the men were beaten. And what of the women? They were driven to the banks of the Delaware River, where they heard cops arguing amongst themselves. One cop would say, let's rape them and throw them into the water. They were rerouted and driven to the nearby House of Correction, a county prison to await trial. What happened to them on August 8th, the holistic reign of police gunfire, beatings, rape threats, and incarceration was nothing compared to what they faced in Philadelphia courtrooms, where they were denied their every right, including their alleged right of self-representation, beaten again when they refused to attend their own legal lynchings, and then the lynchpin conviction and common sentences before Judge Edwin Malmed of 30 to 100 years for third-degree murder? Malmed, during a phone call from me to the Frank Ford Show at WWDB-FM Radio, where the judge was a guest, answered the question of who killed the cop by saying, I haven't the faintest idea. Nine people, nine men and women, nine MOVE members, and 30 to 100 years. Today, August 2017, marks 39 years in prison for Move members, of which seven survive. Merle and Phil Africa have returned to the source under what can only be called suspicious circumstances. Another fact none of the imprisoned Move sisters had weapons charges. Eddie Africa was never convicted of any degree of murder. His charges? Attempted assault, I kid you not. MOVE members are in prison today because they were MOVE members, period. They're guilty of nothing except resistance to a racist, brutal, corrupt system. The same system that gave rise to mass incarceration on a scale that the world has never seen before. Their sentences are an abomination. Free Delbert Eddy. Mike, Chuck, Janine, Janet, and Debbie Africa. From Imprison Nation, this is Mumia Abu-Jamal. These commentaries are recorded by Noel Hanrahan of Prison Radio.
4: You're listening to FreeCR 855 AM um, or www.freecr.org.au um, We're listening to some Podcasts of Mamiya Abdul Abdul Jamal from Prison Radio.
1: Australia is a crime scene. It's unfinished business. This crime. People don't understand that it was a military exercise. It was military in the first place. It was Captain James Cook. It was Captain Arthur Phillip. Right through the history of Australia, it's a military exercise. Our people have suffered greatly because the white man is not prepared to act honourably and legally.
2: It's still the case in this country today.
3: This is 3CR.
1: state prison in Virginia, this commentary is about this long-term segregation, this long-term solitary confinement currently being practiced in Virginia. On February 2013, Virginia DOC implemented a program called Child Series Serious Step-Down Program. In theory, the objective of the step-down programs to eliminate the practice of indefinite solitary confinement and facilitate ways for prisoners to make it back to the general population expeditiously by participating and completing the books offered. However, the objective completely contrasts with what is actually being enforced. Prisoners are either classified to special management, SM, or intensive, intensive management, IM, by the treatment team. For those classified as IM, they can qualify for general population status upon completion of the program. As for those classified as IM, they can never qualify for general population status despite having completed the program, and no matter how much one's behavior ameliorate has he permanently held in segregation during this arbitrary reclassification prisoners were not awarded their due process rights, for we are not allowed to be present at the hearing therefore unable to produce evidence we bought call witnesses or appear that classification which confined us to indefinite solitary confinement in the case of austin was working the court ruled that the inmate must be allowed to appear at the reclassification hearing and present evidence including witnesses and documents support in support of his position and the reclassification committee must issue a written statement specifically describing the evidence relied on and the reasons for the recommendation. However, Virginia prison inquiries are not adhering by this due process mandate. Prison walls or offenses do not serve as a barrier separating prisoners from the protection of the Constitution. Due process simply permits prisoners to challenge any status or classification. Condemning prisoners indefinite self confinement is injected into no human contact. Uh, indefinite solitary confinement, limited outside recreation, while locked in the individual dog cage, warehousing a cell 23 hours a day, 365 a year, permanently, and the right to challenge those conditions is not unconstitutional, but torturous and inhumane, and the paradox of rehabilitation that prison crimes rhapsodically promulgate society. The pretense of rehabilitation has been re- about psychological torture techniques in which prisoners are housed in solitary confinement for the duration of their sentence. For those who are not a comprehension of life in prison, indefinite solitary confinement is the most torturous experience a human being can be subjected to while in prison. It is not punishment that is methodically designed to deteriorate one's minds and humanity. In order, to lower their recidiv- recidivism rates. Prisoners must be properly rehabilitated and equipped with the right transitional skills needed to re enter society. However, prison quests felt that abolishing in your rehabilitation programs and torturing prisoners with indefinite solitary confinement would be more productive rather than rehabilitation.
0: So the issue of
1: indefinite solitary confinement you know is diminutive in comparison to the overall now that are perpetual in prisons nationally. But that would require an, an entire different and longer commentary. So I would just solely focus on this one for now. Anyway, I currently um ask that I respectfully ask anyone listening who might be able to assist us in this legal battle to please, you know, log on to the course website and check out my case pertaining to this commentary, Peter K. McCourier versus Harold Clark. Peter K. McCourier my last name is M-U-K-U-R-A. versus Harold Clark, etc. all 715-CV-00172-JPJ-RSB number 16-7371. The case is currently pending in the Court of Appeal. I'd appreciate it if you could log, if you could log onto the Court's website and review the Court's opinion pertaining to this matter.
0: So thank you very much. These commentaries are recorded by Noel Hanrahan of Prison Radio.
4: Yo, with FreeCR's um, Doing Time Show, I'm Peter. Um, we just heard some um, commentaries by Mamia and some other political prisoners in the United States. Um, now we're going to hear Anti Flag. Um, the song's called. Um, Racist. it's addressing um, Charlottesville, so it just came out, this song, in August the 15th. So we'll go to that now.